as I walk through the door, I sensed his presence, and I knew this was a place where love Holy ground. 
Since I've been here, I'm glad to be back. <laughs> I want to talk to you today for a few minutes about one word. Almost. I think if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all had our almost days. Can you think back like when you was in school? I know me and Steve have a little trouble. <laughs> but do you think back in school, the they're tryouts for their thing, and well, I almost made the team. How'd that make you feel? You almost made it. Think about your Christian life today. Think about it in this text. I almost made it. Folks, when it comes to your Christian life, there is no almost. There is no almost with Almighty God. You're either on His team or you're not on His team. Think about the times you're going down the road. I almost had an accident. Those almost most moments. Those almost moments where we've all failed to take advantage of the opportunities that have been set in front of us. An opportunity to witness to somebody. I almost witnessed to this person. This person who you know was not a Christian. I almost witnessed to this person, but unfortunately, five minutes later, that person went down and had that accident you missed and lost their lives. Because of that almost moment, that opportunity that you passed, someone went to an eternity in a place called hell because you almost witnessed. How about this? I almost prayed for this person in Walmart. A person comes to you in Walmart or someplace else and talks and says, oh, would you pray for me on this? 
and you look around. There's people on this side, people on that side. Well, yeah, I'll pray for you. And when you get home, you don't. You almost had took that time and that hour to pray for a person in Walmart, but you didn't, and their needs go unmet because unfortunately, later on that evening, you forget. Folks, it don't matter when the almost, don't have an almost moment. When someone comes even for prayer, it don't matter where you are, pray for them. The people in Walmart are either going to walk up, put their hands on your shoulder and join you, or look at you like you're an idiot. Big deal. Don't pass an almost opportunity. Take that almost and make it the opportunity that God has presented you. Those kind of opportunities, praying for somebody, witnessing to somebody, may not ever present themselves again. And it's sad. Even sitting in the church, we have our almost opportunity. I almost went to the altar in invitation. I almost decided to accept Christ. Folks, those opportunities may never come again. When you're in a church service and God speaks to you, don't almost come to the altar. Don't almost come up here and accept Christ. Come up and do it. If those people sitting beside you have bad thoughts, shame on them. Don't let your pride stand in the way of you having the almost, I almost. How about the time when the pastor puts out there every year all these positions? Well, I almost accepted that position. You may have been the person God was calling Fortunately, though, a lot of those moments will present themselves again. And with that word almost in mind as we go through, I want you to sort of consider in your mind between now and the invitation, what are the almost things you did? Think of all those almost that you passed. And with that, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 26. That's Acts chapter 26, and we're going to look at verses 28 through 32. And when you have found that, if you would stand to your feet as we reverence the reading of the Word of God. Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up 
and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa to Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Mr. B, would you pray for the service, please? Gracious Heavenly Father, Master, first of all, we're so thankful for this opportunity to be in your house this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we have a place that we can come together to worship you and thank you for all the many blessings that you've given us. As we hear this word almost and look back in our lives, Father, we see the missed opportunities that we've had to witness to people, missed opportunities that we've had to pray for people. Father, we ask you give us those things and help us this morning that if the Holy Spirit bids us to come, whatever the Spirit bids us to do, help us to obey the Spirit that your will might be done. That Father, we might bring honor and glory to your precious name. Father, be with Brother James, he brings this message. Give him the words, the courage, the strength, Lord, the ability to deliver the word this morning. And we know, Father, you said that when your word goes forth, it will accomplish your weakness. Thank you for the word that we have this morning. And Father, we know that it's powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, we just pray your word to go out and, and find its resting place in our hearts that will draw us closer to you. Blessing it in this service, Father. And if there's one here this morning that's not where they should be, may this be the day, the hour, the moment that they'll say no more almost, but they'll come and surrender their hearts and lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to talk a little bit about the Apostle Paul. And I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible shows me that the Apostle Paul never had an almost moment after he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And that's evident here. We, as we read this scripture, and you, even in the previous scripture, Paul has been taken into custody. He is now in the, he's in a Roman prison. He is held captive by the Roman. He is bound in chains. He has pleaded to Caesar for his life. Now we see the Apostle Paul in chains, and he is standing before this king named Agrippa. And also with him, we see a governor named Festus and Festus' wife, Bernice. And I guess if you were standing there where Paul is and you was looking around this big, I'm going to call it a big stadium, you would probably see Roman soldiers and all the guards and all the friends of the king and all the dignitaries of the governor. They're all there. They're watching this man named Paul. Paul, who's standing there, his life on the line, and these people are curious, what is this man going to say? They want to see a man beg, get on his knees and beg and plead for his life. That's what I imagined. But not Paul. Paul knows. Here's a bunch of Gentiles who believe in probably hundreds of gods. Paul realizes there and knows there is only one true 
living God. And that, that this may be the only opportunity that these people have to hear about that God. And here's Paul. The floor is his. And you would expect he would sit there and go over this story about, well, I was just standing on the streets of Jerusalem and these people started throwing rocks at him. Not Paul. He started standing there telling people, he said, I used to be. Ooh, Paul was the greatest persecutor the church ever knew. He went out. It was like a hobby. He'd go out and he'd collect Christians. He'd throw them in jail and he would kill them. All because he thought he was doing the service of God. And that was part of the testimony he shared. He said, this was me. Then he talks about this experience, how he was just got his papers all signed, and he's on his way to a little town called Damascus. He's going to have him a collection of Christians. And he's going to bring them back for trial, maybe in prison, maybe killing them. And then how on that road, he had an experience where he saw the light. He got introduced to a man named Jesus Christ, the man whom he was persecuting, the man who he, ended, as, he maybe not directly, but he helped put Jesus Christ on a cross. He helped put that man to death. And on that road, he goes, he's in this light. Who are you? I'm Jesus whom you persecute. He's telling that story and how Jesus Christ opened his eyes. He was blind, but he got his eyes open. And he's telling this story. And as he's telling this story and he's sharing the complete gospel of Jesus Christ, I think he's standing there and I think he's realizing King Agrippa is hearing, not just listening, but hearing every word that he's saying. And I think he knows that King Agrippa is realizing the fact that what Paul is saying is true. And I think, I don't know why, but I think he could probably just about feel this in the air. And if he's looking at King, I could imagine Paul just looking all around and he is seeing these people probably staring intently, actually focused on the words that he's saying. I know, I don't know, I'm sure Paul knows that the Spirit of God has filled the room, that the Spirit of God is putting a conviction on the people. I think Paul can almost feel that King Agrippa's cold heart is melting. 
that the truth is getting in. And I think old King Agrippa is realizing for the first time there ain't but one God. I think King Agrippa has finally come to realize and accept the fact that he has been worshiping a bunch of dead idols, a bunch of dead gods, that the only God that counts is the God that Paul is now professing in front of this congregation. I think that was an almost moment. And we're going to get into that almost moment in just a minute. Then you do, oh, this scripture, you get into this scripture here. And Paul, I think he just feels that spirit moving so strong. Now he's going to put the question on. King, Agrippa, you believe the prophets. King Agrippa had a knowledge of the prophets, of what the prophets had spoken. And I think old Paul was kind of putting King Agrippa on the spot. What do you think the crowd would have thought if King Agrippa would have said no? If King Agrippa would have answered Paul with no, he'd have made all the Jews mad. He couldn't do that. He decided his prestige was at stake. He may have even decided his entire job and political future was at stake. What's Paul, what does the king say to Paul? Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. He wasn't going to answer Paul's question directly. He couldn't. So just simply, so he would not make anyone mad, Agrippa simply says, you Almost persuade. How many people in the congregation of this church and all the other local churches this morning is going to sit there when the preacher gives his little invitation and say, well, you almost. <laughs> and you take it back, go back to Acts chapter 24, and you can see this redone. Paul has the opportunity to defend himself in front of the governor Felix, but he doesn't. He goes through the same thing he did with King Agrippa. He gives a testimony that that governor needs to hear. And Felix has the same thing. He doesn't want to lose his job. He doesn't want to lose the prestige or have people look and say, well, that idiot, that stupid man. Now, Felix just simply looks at old Paul and he says, well, go away for now. And when I have a convenient time, I will talk to you. 
Because I think in, in, in when you read the scripture, I think old Governor Felix was kind of hoping that old Paul was going to come up to him a little bit later, maybe, and open up his wallet and buy his freedom. But no, Paul wasn't interested in his personal freedom. He was interested in the freedom of Felix's soul. So you look at King Agrippa, Governor Felix. Here we see two prominent men. And I believe when you read those scriptures, you see these two prominent men, a king and a governor, convicted in their hearts. Convicted by the things that Paul has spoken. And for the simply, for the purpose of not making people mad, not losing that prestige, they both rejected the call. I believe they heard the call of God to come to repentance, and they rejected it. They just had that almost moment. I think it's kind of like it is in the churches around the, throughout the country. People sitting in church pews needing to come to an altar because the voice of God has spoken to their hearts. And they won't get up and come to this altar because they're afraid of what the people are going to think. They almost came, but their pride and their concern about the people sitting beside them or maybe even concerned about what they're family will think has kept them from coming to an altar. Folks, that's the time you can say they almost made it to heaven, but no, they completely made it to hell. Folks, don't let an almost moment determine where you'll spend eternity. You read this scripture. It doesn't tell you if Felix or Agrippa ever again had the chance to come to repentance. I think Agrippa and Felix, like many people in church, I'm not saying Christian, people in church, I think they may realize that the very last minute, there is no almost saved. There is no almost heaven. There's no almost hell. It's either heaven or it is hell. The church is in the spot today. And it's time that the church stops playing almost. Folks, we got to stop playing church and we got to stop being church. And if we are the church, we're going to have a lot, of, we should have a lot of Paul in us. Paul didn't have the almost moments where he passed. Well, I almost took the time to testify to this guy, to witness to this guy. Church, stop almost and do it.
We've heard this. I've heard this ever since I was big enough to understand. My grandmother, everybody telling me, the end of the age, the end of the time as we know it is coming in. We're fixing to have the end of the world. It's quickly approaching, folks. It's a fact. We read newspapers today. We turn on the newscast. Well, folks, if you read this thing that was written 2,000 years, over two, it's got 2,000 years worth of stuff in it, the news that you're seeing and reading is not new. God told you about it centuries ago. <laughs> Just read it. We need to realize the Bible is accurate in every detail. The end of time as we know it is quickly approaching. Another thing the Bible tells you is you ain't got a whole lot more time to prepare for eternity. <clears throat> Church, we need to get serious. We need to understand and share with folks that we know heaven and hell. They're not a concept, folks. They're real. Heaven and hell are real places. <clears throat> and Jesus tells a parable in this Bible that we story about two individuals. One is a very rich man. The other is an old beggar. He's ate up with sores and stuff. And as Jesus tells the story, the beggar and the rich man, both of them die. One goes to a place that the Bible describes as paradise. That man is a beggar. The rich man dies and finds himself in a place called hell. This rich man, he had the opportunity every single day where he could have looked down on this poor beggar, this man who was had his sores licked by the dogs, who would sit there begging for crumbs, and this guy would probably just throw his crumbs in the trash can rather than share. How many almost opportunities did this rich man have to share what he had? Folks, I'm not rich. And I doubt if many of you, if any here, are rich. But we should share what we have. And if you are sitting here today, and you can truly say, without any doubt, that you are a child of the living God, folks, you have all the riches in the world you can share. And the greatest 
gift that you have that should keep on sharing is the gift of Jesus Christ. Folks, why do you want to get a gift so fabulous and hold it? Folks, there's people living, fixing to die and go to hell because you won't share the best gift, the most richest thing you have with someone. Folks, their eternity is at stake. Don't pass these almost moments. Take these almost moments and make them come into fruition. When you get into that story of Lazarus and the rich man, you realize heaven is within grass and that heaven is a true, real place. A place of glory, serenity, tranquility, perfect peace. A place where you will spend eternity with the God of glory. But if you look at the rich man, you'll see that hell is a place of eternal torment. Because the scriptures will tell you there's wailing and gnashing of teeth at a place called hell. Matter of fact, Matthew 13 says, they shall, be, they shall cast them into a furnace of fire where there is nothing but wailing and gnashing of teeth. Luke 16, with this story of riches, tells you that hell is a place, it's a conscious state of eternal torment. Hell is a place without mercy. In fact, look at Luke 16, 24, if you like, it says, Then he cried, he's talking about the rich man, the rich man cries and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he can dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. That scripture right there, just that verse tell you, when you inhale, there is no mercy. There is nothing but torment. And you'll learn hell is a place without escape. Luke 16, verse 26 says, And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that the, those who want to pass from here to there cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Folks, when you arrive in this place called hell, it's too late. Hell is a place you'll find there is no appeal. You'll find out that hell, you can be on your best behavior if that's possible there. There will be no early release. This is going to be your place of eternal residence. And this scripture is also going to help you remember the almost moments you had to come to Christ. Because according to this scripture, hell is a place of remembrance. Luke 16, 25 says, But Abraham said, Son, 
Remember, in your lifetime, you received your good things. Once there, once you have arrived in hell, just think of this. You will have all eternity to remember the almost. The almost times that you came to Christ. You're going to have time to remember all the sermons that the pastor spoke that allowed God to speak to your heart. You're going to remember all the times where you almost came to the altar. Where you almost came and accepted God. You'll remember that for all eternity. And I like to use an illustration also for those almost. Those people who almost, and they die. Now they are in this place of hell, an eternal judgment. And I really don't believe you're going to have a concept of time. You're just there. Agony. Torment. Constant. And I sort of had it come to me that maybe you're one of those people who has never accepted Jesus Christ. Your life has ended. Now you are forever in constant torment because you never accepted Jesus. And I don't know if it's possible, but I got to thinking, maybe you almost had time to sit and talk to your child, your little baby. And while she grew, you had so many almost moments and opportunities that you could have taken that child to church, that maybe you could have shared what you had heard maybe with that child. But now it's too late. You're in hell. And maybe for one brief second, your torment ended. Your wailing and your screaming in agony ended just enough where you heard a voice of scream in pain that you recognize as that little child that you failed to share Jesus with. That child is there in hell for eternity because you couldn't almost do what you should have done. Folks, there's a day coming. You're going to be judged. And you're not going to stand in front of this great judge and say, I almost accepted. Folks, you did or you didn't. You will be, and if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, you are going to be judged. You are going to be found guilty simply because you refuse to believe on the name of Jesus. 
You failed to acknowledge he was truly the Son of God who came, died, bled, and rose again. And when you're judged for not believing and not accepting him as your Lord and Savior, you will be sentenced and confined to the flames of hell for all eternity. Now's the time we need to get ready. And there's another story in the Bible that tells us the importance. It's Matthew 25, the parable that we know as the ten virgins. It pictures this. They say ten virgins. We've got ten virgins here. And they're all waiting for the wedding procession. The bridegroom is soon fixing to come to get his church. He is Jesus Christ is simply waiting for his father to look at him and say, Son, go get your bride. Go get your church and bring them home. And when that Son of God, Jesus Christ, hears those words, the bridegroom is coming. He's coming to get that bride. He's coming to take us home. But this parable goes on and tells five are prepared, five are not. The Bible calls them five wise, five foolish, or five unwise. The five wise versions represent this sincere Christian. The Christian who has truly professed Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Those are the ones who are truly sitting in wait, looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we have too many people who are not sincere Christians. They fall into the category of the un We profess to be Christians. But folks, if you can just profess to be a Christian, That'll fall into the category of the almost. Because ye either are or ye ain't. Too many Christians today, I think, hold the lamp of profession in their hands instead of holding the light of the true living God in their hands. Too many people today who profess, we go around professing to be Christian, we got a lamp we're holding out in front of us, but people ain't seeing the light of God. Folks, it's got to change. We hold that lamp of profession in our hands, but we should have the lamp of profession in our hearts, which makes it reality. And no, no, we've heard of that return for years. And we get complacent with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Matthew 25, as you go on and read it, it says, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Over the years since our childhood, we hear and we hear and we just do. We like, and that's why it's so, and even in the church, people come in, they're sitting there, the pastor's up here preaching. They're looking at watches, trying to figure out what, if they're going to beat the crowd to, M and J's or something. Folks, the message of God 
is more as just as relevant as it was centuries ago. And as we draw closer, the importance and the urgency of us putting the word of God out is even more important. Yep. You can take these ten wise versions and sort of put it in today's context of the church. Because they're just like the church today. There's going to be, I put the, at midnight, according to scripture, it's midnight. The cry is heard. The bridegroom comes. According to this, those who have pro truly professed Jesus Christ in their heart, they're ready. They've been looking for it. Him coming back is not unexpected. It's not a big surprise. They were ready. The unwise. That just shows you the ones who were a lot, in my opinion, they just a lot of lip service. <laughs> they weren't ready. They weren't expecting him. They weren't even <laughs> had any cares about it. They were just doing their thing. Bridegroom comes and he gathers those. He gathered the wise and he took them home. And here come the ones who have professed, I'm a Christian. Now they're up there, they're knocking at the door, saying, Lord, let us in. <laughs> Lord, open the door to us. And Jesus simply says, I don't know you. The scriptures is clear. Even in this story, folks, there's no second chance. There is no almost ready. 2 Corinthians would tell you, behold, now is the time. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When you read that scripture, it doesn't say it's almost time. It doesn't say it might be getting close. It says now. want to say behold bridegroom coming don't be one of those who has to say to the wise give us some of your oil folks my grandmother was a true Christian my grandmother believed on the name of Jesus Christ it took me years to believe just because my grandmother took me to church. I wasn't getting into heaven on her, on her skirts, period. Her faith, her belief in Jesus Christ and the salvation that she accepted did not get me into heaven. I can't get in. That's what this scripture is saying. 
I can't use, you can't use somebody else's oil to get into heaven. Folks, that is a choice you make. You accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you don't get there. We don't know when he's coming. Just suffice it to say, he is coming. You got to be ready. You got to be watching for his return. You're going to die one day, or the Lord's going to come and take you before then. But up to that point, folks, today may be the last chance that you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Christian, there's a lot of Christians today who are not really fully prepared for the coming of Christ. We're just living a life to suit the world. We listen too much to people like Oprah Winfrey and some of these other tele televangelists of preachers who get hundreds of ways to heaven. Just live it to the best of your ability. Have fun. Folks, Oprah Winfrey and them, I'm going to say it flat out, they're liars. My Bible says the only way to the kingdom of heaven is to the Son, Jesus Christ. It's all about faith. Go back into the Old Testament. Imagine a man named Noah... Here's a voice. Just simply, Noah, I want you to build me a big boat. <laughs> build me an ark. And here's how I want you to do it. Because there's going to be a mighty flood come across. Noah didn't even know what rain was. In fact, I'm sure Noah probably said to go, well, what's an ark? Because there was no need for a boat. Noah didn't question it. He believed the voice that spoke. And for a hundred years, Noah and his sons and family worked on this ark. And as he worked and he realized the importance of that ark and what it represented him for a hundred years as he built that boat, he preached the message that God had given him to all those around him. And there came a day, the rain came. It started to rain. The animals have all gathered. And Noah hears another voice. A voice that said, Noah, come into the ark. Noah went in there. God raises that big drawbridge, shuts the ark, and seals it. And all the people on the outside who had heard the message 
never came to Christ. Those folks perished. Those folks never had another opportunity to come to repentance. So as I close, I'm going to ask her to come up for a verse of invitation. I'm going to ask you, are you willing today to ensure your watch lamp is full? Are you ready today to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Remember 2 Corinthians. Behold, now. Today, not almost, but today, right now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Folks, God don't work in the almost zone. Neither should we. Brother Steve.
Conley. Conley. Huh? Is it Marley? Marley. 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 Conley, I that's your last name. But uh, remember that thing when you pray. So that's not Say goodbye. Also, one of my best friends, I pushed it on the page, but he's, they call hospice in, it's cancer spread from his, his lungs, his throat, and now it's in his brain. Um, they're not giving him much time. I went to see him yesterday, so he's private with a family. They are members at um, Bethlehem. Y'all remember the email? Yes. Wait for Julie. That you get all the strength back. Remember the Burge family, they uh, found Kenny the other day in the house. He had passed away. Doris is going to take this money. Wayne said, too, she don't remember him. They ain't here today, I'll pray. Anybody else is wanting? Yes, great